All right. We're going to, you know what? I have something popping up on the screen and uh, unmute, I guess. Okay. All right, there we okay. go. There you All go. Right. Okay. All right. So um, what we're going to be doing for you today is um, is our our new project, and that's called The Doc and the Chef, and it's actually a YouTube series. We have 16 episodes already filmed, um, and they come out every other Sunday. And um, today we have really three live episodes that we're right. going to be doing for right. you guys. This, this came about because uh, in my medical practice and in Karen's work, you know, teaching culinary, uh, culinary education, plant-based we both realized we, we kept getting the same questions over and over and over. You know, the plants have protein. If I don't eat meat, where am I going to get my protein? And is soy going to cause cancer? And, you know, the list uh -huh. goes on. And so, so that's the reason we, we, developed this this uh, program this youtube channel yeah because we didn't see anything else like it out on social media or really it was either a talking head a you know a great scientist a researcher a physician or a chef a cook but nobody was putting the two concepts together right. so that's what we're doing today all right all right let's get Ready? started let's okay. get started <laughs> okay so jim you know that i'm going through this new workout routine trying to just get a little chiseled get ready for summertime and um, so I'm, I'm at the gym pretty often and I'm really, you know, mm -hmm. hitting the weights. So, but I also have, <clears throat> pardon me, I have this um, monthly get together with my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. We like to go out and eat and find new restaurants. So last week um, we figured out which restaurant we were going to. I looked up the menu online and um, we sit down and everybody gets their food. And I'm the only plant-based person in my group. And so everybody gets these beautiful dishes and I get this lentil soup. And I was so excited. I just was drooling. I was so excited for this soup. And my girlfriend to my, to my left says, Karen, I know what kind of workout routine you are going through right now. And there is no way that there is enough protein in that lentil soup to sustain your workouts. So what gives? Well, you know, Karen, I, I hear that all the time. I hear it from athlete friends of mine. I hear it from patients, you know, where do, when they hear I'm plant-based, the first thing they ask, where do you get your protein? Well, guess what? Plants have protein. That's what I tried to tell right. them. So if you really think about it, right? So, so you eat a piece of steak or a hamburger for protein. Where did that protein come from? It came from the grass that the cow ate, right? You eat a piece of chicken. Where did that come from? It came from the seeds and maybe a few bugs that the chicken ate, right? And so, so, so plant, you know, plants have protein. Now, you know, 10,000 years ago, there may have been a survival advantage for our ancestors to, to get concentrated animal fat and protein from, from meat, animal foods, because they needed to get big and strong, get away from the leopard and, and, and find a mate and pass on their DNA before they die of an infectious disease. And now in the modern world, because we, we no longer most of us in the Western world aren't really starved for calories. We have the luxury of skipping the middleman and going straight to the plants. Because again, these animals have just, they've already used all the good stuff, the fiber, the antioxidants, the phytonutrients, the vitamins and minerals. They've already used that to run their own machinery. Their own bodies. Exactly. And they've concentrated what's left into protein and fat, which we then consume. And, and so, you know, and we know that, that many chronic diseases that we see today are, are associated with the underconsumption of, of plant-based foods and the overconsumption of, of these animal foods. 
So if I'm, if you think, well, of course you're, you're the doc, so you would know, but if I'm getting enough protein from that soup, let's talk about this for a minute. So what, you know, what's a good source of protein? Well, so, so first of all, let's talk about how much protein you really need. Okay. Okay. Because, because, because that, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's key. And that there's a lot of confusion around. That's true. So most people who are kind of average activity level need about 0.36, 0.4 grams per pound, right? Okay. So for most people, that's in the 50 to 60, maybe 65 gram range, depending on how much you, you, you weigh. Um, now, if you're athletic, you do need more protein, right? So an endurance athlete may need 0. 0.75, 0. 0.5, 0.75, somewhere in there. A strength trained athlete might need up to one, one gram per pound. One right? gram. So, so yeah. a one, one, one to one, one ratio right. if you're exactly. really hitting the gym really hard, harder than me. Right, right. Yeah. I'm talking about NFL football players, sure. marathon runners. Yeah. But guess what? So a few years ago, as you know, I, to celebrate my turning 60, I unfortunately unsuccessfully tried to kill myself. Uh, I wanted to do something epic. And I trained for and completed a full Ironman triathlon. Right. So 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, then you get to run a marathon as if that's not enough. And clearly I needed much more protein uh, in my diet during that hard, those hard months of training as I'm preparing for this race. So a whole food plant-based diet has about, it's about 75% unrefined carbs. It's about 15% plant-based protein and about 10% fat. So very low fat. So if you do the math backwards for someone like yourself, right? Um, um, and say, say you're eating 15, 1800 calories a day, somewhere in there. And, if, and so if you take 15% of that and do the math backwards, that's going to put you almost exactly where you need to be, right? Now, I'm training for an Ironman. Yeah. I'm not eating 1800 calories a day. I'm eating 3600 calories a day, 4000 calories a day. So what happened to my protein intake? Well, your protein intake went up. It doubled. Because your calories. Exactly. Went up. Exactly. So it's not protein we need to worry about. It's calories. Right. As long as you're getting enough calories to sustain the kind of physical activity you're doing, yeah, you, you will get enough protein. Okay. So, yeah, because it's not like you can go down the protein aisle of a grocery store. Right. You're getting your calories. Right. right. That's exactly right. Okay. Okay. So um, then let's talk about types of protein right okay, so like actually no let me ask you this what happens because listen marketing everywhere right. says protein this protein that get more right. protein get more protein so what happens if we get too much protein right that's a great question uh, and there are consequences um and in fact the, the average protein intake in the united states is about 100 grams a day so it's almost double of what we really need Thanks. so the carbohydrate and the fat that we consume, we can store that in, in our muscle cells and our liver. And then we, that's the carbohydrate. We store that as what's called glycogen. And we can use that for fuel. The fat we can store as fat cells in our fat cells to use as energy uh, for more prolonged exercise. If there's extra carbohydrates that gets converted to fat, which we store, but we can't really store extra protein. So when we consume too much protein, um, then um, that then we have to get rid of it. So it gets converted to nitrogen, but it's excreted in our urine. And so too much protein can put a tremendous strain on our kidneys and there's association with excess protein intake and things like kidney disease, right? 
Now we also know that protein is an anabolic substance. So it promotes tissue growth. That's why when you're lifting those weights, you need more protein, right? right? Yeah. But there's other cells in our body that we don't want to promote the growth and that's cancer cells. Sure. So we're all making, we, we all get mutated cells in our, in our bodies fairly regularly, but normally our, our immune system and such can kind of get, take care of them more than cause any problem. But you can imagine when we, when we consume too much protein, it stimulates a, a hormone called insulin growth factor one, um, which can promote those cancer cells uh, to, to divide, which is something we don't want. In fact, there was a very interesting study a few years ago in the journal Cell Metabolism that looked at middle-aged men and protein intake. And the men with the highest animal-based protein had a 75% greater risk of cancer. What was interesting about that though, when the, when the, proteins, when the, when the protein was mainly from an animal source, the risk wasn't nearly as high, it was almost negated. And there's some theories around that. And that, again, it has to do with which proteins stimulate this IGF, which amino acids stimulate this IGF-1. So really it is more dangerous, if you want to use that word, to be, to be uh, eating animal-based protein. Yes versus plant-based protein. That's exactly right. And so, you know, one of the arguments for a long time in this whole protein controversy is is that um, you'll you'll hear this, right? That plants don't have complete protein. Yes, all the time. I still hear this. Yeah, they're not complete proteins, right? So what that means is um, proteins are made up of, of individual amino acids. And when we consume protein in whatever form, that are, that protein is broken down in our gut into its independent, in, in its individual to, into the individual amino acids. Now those are absorbed and then we reassemble them in our liver primarily to make the enzymes we need. And they, you know, they, they reassemble them in our muscle tissue to make muscle and on and on and on. Um, and there's, there's a number of amino acids that our bodies can't manufacture, right? And those are called essential amino acids. So we have to get those from our diet. And the concern's always been, you know, you eat a piece of steak, oh, it's got all the amino acids we need. And that plants don't. And that's just a fact. It's just not true. Um, um, every plant-based source of protein has all the individual amino acids you need. It, it's, it's, it's just not true. So there's no more of this having to do rice and beans. There's right. no more complementing exactly. proteins. That's exactly just right. eat your plants. That's You're exactly. going to be just fine. That's exactly right. I like to get right to the point. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> right. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because that's what you always heard, right? Is, you know, this protein combining and yeah, stuff. And right, it's right. just not necessary. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's, that's, I, I mean, I've heard that a little bit, but it's nice just to right. lay it to rest. Right. Okay. So should we get cooking? Well, what, you know, what about people who don't get enough protein? Oh, well, you know what? I didn't even like, I, I guess you I guess we should address that, but I don't really, I didn't even really think about that right. because there's so much talk about more protein, more protein, more protein. Right. You're saying that people are getting too much. Well, people are worried about it. You know, you go yeah. to the gym and that's what they're worried about, right? They're not, not getting, getting enough protein, protein. right? Yeah. Right. And so, so, um, it, it does happen, right? Um, but it's mainly caused by calorie malnutrition, right? So, you know, when you see these sad pictures of children starving, they got the big bellies and sunken eyes, th- those kids are protein deficient. And that's, that's a condition called course. I can honestly tell you in my 35, almost 40 years of practicing medicine, I have never seen someone walk in off the street with clinical protein deficiency. The few cases I've seen are people, you know, in stage cancer, you know, on, on, who are at the end of life. Yeah. So it does happen, but it's just not something we need to worry about. 
because the two things that you just described, the two times that you might see a protein deficiency, right. is also going to be a calorie That's deficiency. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So if you're getting enough calories, chances are. Not chances are. <laughs> okay. If you're getting enough calories, <laughs> you you're getting enough protein. There you go. That's right. Okay. All right, so tell me, I want to learn about this lentil soup that you Yeah, made. okay, so I did a little research and I figured out how they made the soup, All right. played around with it, right. and it. this is what I came up with. Okay, so first we're going to chop an onion, and this is, now I'm going to do this because I do this all the time, right? This right. is not how you hold a knife, and this with your index finger on here is not how you hold a knife because... I don't know anybody with an index finger strong enough to get through the beautiful root vegetables that we eat. Like a butternut squash, and even right? Just, right, even just an onion, yes. I know, can you imagine with a right, butternut right. squash? Oh, believe me, back in the day before you taught me the proper ways and the kids, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, um, you know, I've tried to cut butternut squash with the wrong technique. And yeah. You're right, you yeah. know, you feel like you're gonna rupture a tendon in your forearm. Yeah, right? it's awful, it's <laughs> awful. And actually, by the way, if you wanna soften up a butternut squash, put it in the microwave yeah. for just a couple of minutes. Yeah. It just softens it just a little bit. Okay, back to the show. Um, <laughs> so now the, the way I like to cut an onion is just we're gonna take off one of the ends. It does not matter which one. And now you have a flat surface and you're a lot more stable. Right. And let's keep a bowl here for our scraps, compost, or extra parts that we can add to a veg stock or a veg right. broth. Because this is really all about maintaining control, right? You know, the knife technique you talked about, the flat surface, um, that, that's all about just maintaining control, right? right. So, so that your dish, your dish stays plant-based, so there's not a finger in there. Right. <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm going to use the B word. This is a vegan uh, recipe. We want to keep it that way. Now, um, so... The interesting thing about so many of our vegetables, including this, the onions, onions, garlic, that whole family is called the Allison family, A-L-L-I-C-I-N. Um, a lot of the, uh, the nutrients are on the outermost part of the vegetable. Right. So that's why when you are taking the skin off of an onion, make sure you just take off that very, very thin layer right. so that you are getting those antioxidants right. sure, in yeah. your food. Yeah, it's interesting. So the so the antioxidants that are in these allicine vegetables, it's garlic, leeks, green onion, shallots, things like that. Um, those are the plants' natural defense for not getting an infection if they were to get injured, right? Right. So so when you cut that onion, basically what you're doing is you're you're disrupting the cell wall, and and, and so the onion is starting to develop these these um, these compounds to protect it from a bacterial or fungal infection. And it turns out those, those same chemicals have the same effect for us. So some of the most highly um, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer foods out there are in fact, this, this whole class of allicin vegetables. And, and there is some evidence if you, if you let it sit for five or 10 minutes, um, that uh, after you cut it up, it, what do you call chop and chop and stop, stop, chop and stop, or hacking a hole, hack whatever, hole. Yeah. Uh, that that will allow those antioxidants to develop even further. That's right. And but here's the thing also, it does have a bell shaped curve. So when you are starting to get all your ingredients together, go ahead and cut your, your garlic and cut your onion or whatever. Let them sit for about 15 minutes. And at about that 15 minute mark yeah. is when those properties have really come to fruition. And then it's okay to put them on the heat. You're going to be fine. 
But as if you wait any longer, if you pass the 20-ish minute, right. then those those properties start to wane. It's, yeah. it's still, I mean, still a very tasty food. You just want to get the most nutritional bang for your right. buck. That's right. That's right. Okay, so we're gonna turn on our um, our pot or our heat here. I'm gonna turn it to high, high heat. And I'm going to add our onions first. So I noticed, Karen, um, you don't have any oil in that pan. I do not use any oil in my baking or cooking. Oh, wow. Yep. So how do you keep things from sticking? Okay, so you want to make sure that you have a very hot pan. Then go ahead and just add in, I'm going to add in mirepoix, so that's going to be onions, carrots, and celery today. And here's the thing. Plants, aside from having protein, yes. <laughs> also have a ton of water in them. So the heat from that, the heat from the pan is going to really just attack the plants and pull out that water. And that is going to help everything start to slide around. Now we want to pull the heat down to a cooking temperature, which is about medium, medium high. And then but here's the thing, you wanna stay on top of your food because in just a minute or so, we're gonna to start to see some evaporation. Right. So the water from the plants is gonna reach out, go up in the air, and you do not want to step away, step away right. from the pot. Right. So that's why, and here's also, let's, you know what, can we just talk about oil for a second? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. All right, all right. So all oil, doesn't matter if it's sesame oil, coconut oil, canola oil, olive oil, it doesn't matter. 120 calories right. per tablespoon. Right. That is huge. So if you are coating your pan, bulk, 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 and you're adding four, five tablespoons, right. do the math. Right. You have just added, let's say, five or six hundred calories to your meal, and you haven't even added any ingredients. Yet. Right. And not to mention, it's in the salad dressing, and you're, it's on your garlic bread, and it's, on and on and on. Oil is everywhere. And I got to tell you, like, if I had the money to hire the pe the marketing company right. that does all of the commercials for olive oil, right. Oh, right. I, it's, it's incredible. It's so misleading. It it's is. so misleading. And, and, you know, from a, again, from a science standpoint, nutrition standpoint, you know, a gram of fat, as you kind of pointed out, has about nine calories per gram. A gram of carbohydrate protein only has four calories per gram. So if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to, you know, so that fat, which is driving your cholesterol up and it's what's making you insulin resistant, um, you know, and it's inflammatory and on and on and on. So if you're trying to lose weight, lower your cholesterol, you know, et cetera, get, get rid of your diabetes, limiting your fat intake is very important. And that's really hard to do with, with a lot of these uh, processed oils in your diet. You bet it is. And by the way, um, I know that we're talking kind of a lot about fat right now. People come up to me and they say, oh, if you don't use any olive oil or any oils, how can you have this fat-free lifestyle? Well, I don't have a fat-free, we do not have a fat-free right. lifestyle. And I, I wouldn't want that. You know, I mean, that, that adds such great texture, such great mouthfeel, right. and it's needed. It's one of the three macronutrients right. that we need, right, right. For, for absorption and all these things. So we like to get our fats. Listen, okay, so this is one thing I think we should say is that every plant, every plant that comes up out of the earth, whether it be a bean, some cauliflower, some lettuce, is going to have the three macronutrients, That's right? That's right? right. That's right. This is what I learned from you, the yeah. doc, yeah, right. have the three macronutrients that we need every day to live and thrive. So there's going to be a little bit of fat, a right. little bit of protein, and a little bit of carbohydrates, even in 
butter, lettuce. lettuce. Yes. Right, right, right. And, and typically the, the fat that's in those green leafy vegetables are those healthy omega-3 fatty acids, right? And, and, you know, also nuts and seeds and avocados. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, you can get more than enough fat by eating whole foods without having to resort to oil. And, you know, as you've heard me say many times, the, the other way I like to kind of frame this is when I think about, you know, human diet. Um, you know, as human beings, what did we evolve to? Well, we were not hunter-gatherers, we were gatherer-hunters. And what we gathered was primarily unrefined plants, right? There was not a canola oil bush, right? There wasn't a Dr. Pepper nut. There wasn't a, you know, the white flower tree. So as human beings, we did not evolve to use these highly processed oils yeah. in addition to these other highly processed foods. And by the way, we didn't, you know, we didn't have dairy because we had to domesticate other mammals and on and on. So, so we just don't need it. Well, and I'm and I'm happy to hear that. So here's the thing with oil, also, right. just from a culinary standpoint. Yep. Um, so we already know, but let's just say it. Why do we add oil to the pan? Well, so it won't stick. So what won't stick? So the food won't stick. That's right. right. It's very easy, right? right. You know this, okay? Yeah. So that everything slides around. Now, this is what I like to tell people all the time. Like, you know what? You want your food to slide around on there. So that it buys you time so that you can get on your phone and look at Instagram right, right, right. or fold the laundry or let the dog out or whatever. Because we're a society of let's do as much as we possibly can in this much time, right? right. So don't do that with your cooking, please. You're, you're going to ruin everything in here, first of all. But here's what I want to do is if you add oil to your pan and it coats your vegetables and then you eat that, you're also coating your right, taste buds. Right, so right. you think that you can taste your food, but if you take the oil out, right. you taste that food directly. And right. it's so delicious. So, right. okay. So when you start to see just a little bit of browning on the bottom of your pan, don't, don't get scared. It, no, you know, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's called fun. Right, 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 yummy right. bits of caramelized food yeah. at the bottom of that pan is called uh, fond, F-O-N-D. Right. Now, what we want to do is deglaze. This is called a dry saute. And we're going to be adding just a tablespoon or so of either water or vegetable broth right. to deglaze the pan and pull that fond up off of the pan and back into the food. And it adds a ton of flavor. Flavor bombs, right? Flavor bombs. And so then your pan is all clean at the bottom again. Yeah. Because all of that fond is back up into the food. Okay, so we've got some some nice uh, translucent onions in here, and I'm going to add in our garlic. Smells so good. I know. I love this. Too bad so they don't much. have like a, 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 a smell of vision. Smell of vision yeah. on Zoom, right? <laughs> you get to work. There. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so. I'm just going to cut up these baby potatoes. These are red potatoes. I'm going to cut them up into bite size, leaving the skin on. And the smaller you cut them, the faster they cook. But uh, there we go, pretty small. This is going to add, I mean, just a really nice texture. Okay, so. So another just fun nutrition fact about potatoes. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about People have high blood pressure, right? Yeah. We talk a lot about oh. we talk a lot about salt, limiting your salt intake, which is important, and really trying to limit it to about fifteen hundred milligrams um, um, a day. But what's probably more important with regards to uh, to uh, blood pressure is not the the absolute amount of salt; it's the ratio of potassium to sodium. 
And what you're looking for is about three to one. So about 4,500 milligrams of potassium to about 1,500 milligrams of sodium. So what's the food that pops in your mind when, when, when I mention potassium? Bananas. Right. That's everybody, right? So bananas have about 400 milligrams per banana, which is okay. Yeah. That means you got to eat 10 or 12 bananas a day. Oh, to offset the sodium. Yeah, yeah right. This potato right here yeah. has over a thousand milligrams of potassium. So white potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, you know, things like beet greens, the spinach that we're going to add a little bit later. Yeah. So, you know, we're packing not only the protein in here, you know, it's the potassium and all the other phytonutrients because, you know, again, food is medicine, right? And, and that's how we should think about it. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So the garlic has, we can smell the garlic. Right. That's when you know it's time to add in the next ingredient. And that is going to be our potatoes. So it's just, I'm just adding in two potatoes that are cut to bite size. And we'll make sure that you cut them bite size because they have to fit onto a spoon, right? They'll cook faster. And they will cook, they will cook faster. So get them nice and wet. And now we have right, cumin, coriander. And I like to put this in before I add in the rest of my liquid because I want the spices to stick to the vegetables. And then um, they'll also toast a little bit. So they'll start to really open up and become very, very fragrant. Oh, wait, oh my gosh, so fragrant. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's that cool. That cool oh my is so good. Gosh, it's so good. All right, so now what I'm going to do is add in now you can buy just dried lentils, totally fine. Or there's the canned lentils, and then I like these steamed lentils. Right. Um, just got them at Trader Joe's, but most grocery stores mm -hmm. will have them just in this this box. Yep. And they um, you can find them at the in the produce section. So they are already cooked. We're just going to warm them up. So I'm going to add in about half of the package. The ratio is totally up to you. Uh, we do offer the recipe, all of these three recipes on our website. You want to get those going. I'm going to put these in here too. And then I'll, okay. We have a few jumpers here. <laughs> okay. So you're getting, now all of that, all the lentils are nice and covered with uh, spices as well. And now we'll go ahead and add in our vegetable stock and then turn our uh, temperature way down. And then we're just gonna let it hang sure. out and cook. Yes, sir. All right, actually I'm gonna add just a pinch of salt and a little bit of pepper and then let all that cook in. Okay, so. Well, and so, you know, um, when this is ready, we'll talk a little bit, but, but you know, people worry a lot about protein. Right? So, well, I mean, I hope they don't have to this. Right. But what should we be worrying about? Oh, my favorite F word. It's fiber. Yes. Right? So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, the average American gets twice as much protein as they need and less than half of the fiber. So why don't we take a quick break okay. uh, for a couple minutes? We're going to reset things and we'll be right back. And we're going to talk to you about fiber, Karen's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. We'll be right back.
Okay. okay. All right. So we're back. We're back. Okay. <laughs> and let's go. Um, okay. So yeah, let's get let's really get into it again. It is. I, I mean, truly, it is one of my favorite F words because, and I want to make a joke about it, but because it's so important. Just as we ended the last segment with protein, okay, we get enough protein. We don't need to worry about it. The real thing we need to worry about is fiber. What, once and for all, what is fiber and why is it important? Right. So fiber is, well, first of all, fiber is only found in plants. And it's the undigestible part of the, of the plant uh, that we can't use for food. And so it does, does some other things which we'll talk about in a minute as, we, as it transits our GI tract. It, and it's very, very important, right? So there's, there's, broadly, there's two kinds of fiber. We talk about soluble fiber. We talk about insoluble fiber. So it's just what it sounds like. So soluble means it dissolves in water. And when soluble fiber absorbs in, uh, uh, absorbs water, it creates this kind of gel-like mass, right? Which kind of slows down, it slows down emptying from the stomach. It modulates the release of any sugar or carbohydrates into the bloodstream. So we so Right. So no we don't, insulin spike. Exactly. Exactly. Um, or sugar spike. Exactly. It helps absorb some of the, the, the cholesterol and fat. So, so it's not absorbed. So it helps lower um, 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 cholesterol. It also, um, the soluble fiber serves as food for a healthy gut microbiome. And as we're learning more and more and more about the gut microbiome, you know, I, I think it's the next kind of revolution in medicine that is not already, right? Um, you know, if, if you think about, you know, I used to think our gut was something inside us. Mm -hmm. right? You go to right. the operating room and open someone up and use a guts. But if you think about it, you know, our gut is really outside us because it's a hollow tube. It starts at point A and it goes to point B. And its job is to take whatever we ingest at point A and let in the good stuff, keep out the bad stuff and eliminate it at point B, right? And I used to think the bacteria that lived in our gut were just along for the ride. If we went to Mexico and got some different bacteria, you had to take some Pepto-Bismol for a few days. But it turns out that the bacteria that live in our gut play a fundamentally important role in many kind of metabolic and health processes. Um, for example, um, the, the bacteria line the gut. So normally in the small intestine, um, uh, between the cells, there's what are called tight junctions, right? Because every, every time we swallow and we eat, we're swallowing all the vitamins and nutrients that we need, you know, the, 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 the fat and carbohydrate protein, but we're also swallowing a lot of things that we don't need. Sure. Viruses and bacteria and fungi and environmental toxins. Like, Yummy. Like, yeah, like, like pesticides and herbicides. And, I, and so the, these tight junctions keep those bad things from being absorbed into our bloodstream. And there's other things like gluten proteins, milk proteins, which are really not designed to absorb into our bodies. When we disrupt our gut microbiome, we lose that protective surface. So there's those tight junctions loose. And so we start to leak these bad things into our bloodstream, which is felt to be the root cause of many chronic inflammatory processes, including autoimmune disease, right? Would we call that leaky gut? Yeah, it's, I don't really like that term because it has some other connotations, but yes, it's, oh, it's basically okay. leaky gut. Okay. If we could design an environment in the modern world to destroy the human gut microbiome, we have done it, right? So babies are born with a sterile or very few bacteria in their gut. 
then you have a vaginal delivery. And that's your first dose of bacteria. And then we breastfeed, so we get bacteria from our mother's skin. And the rest of our lives, we got bacteria from the dirt, right? That's yeah. where these, these soil, that's where these, these are soil bacteria. It was, you know, we, we got our food out of the dirt. We played in the dirt. We drank water that had bacteria in it. And we ate a very high fiber, low fat, plant predominant diet, which fed these, these healthy these healthy gut bacteria. Now let's fast forward to the modern world, right? Yeah, yikes. We, we don't C-section babies. We don't breastfeed. We put so many pesticides and herbicides on our food, we have to scrub the dirt off to make it edible. We polluted the water, so we have to chlorinate it. And we pass out antibiotics that put candy starting at a young age, which can't tell the difference between good and bad bacteria. And most importantly, we eat a low fiber, high fat diet, which, so we're not feeding these healthy gut bacteria. And, and, and healthy gut bacteria have been associated with other, besides chronic inflammation, um, you know, mental health. It turns out, this is, this like blows me away. So, when people come in to the office depressed or anxious, you know, one of the kind of go-to drugs was a class of medications called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So serotonin is a, is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel happy. And so there's things like Lexapro and Prozac and Selexa and things like that. Yeah. Well, it turns out that the serotonin from our, for our brains doesn't come from our brains. It's actually the precursors are made by gut bacteria. And, and, and there's a lot of emerging evidence about the fundamental importance of this gut-brain axis in, beyond our, our metabolic health, but also our mental health. It's really fascinating. Oh, my gosh. Right. And so, again, it's the soluble fiber, this fermentable fiber that really uh, it is, is important. The other interesting thing, by the way, about soluble fiber, you know, that well, you can't turn on the news today or, or read a newspaper article about talking about this new weight loss drug would, would go over. Oh, here we go. I right? love this. Yes, right? yes. So the way, so when we eat food, um, that triggers the, the, the nutrients in the food trigger our intestine to make a compound called GLP-1. And GLP-1, you can think of it as kind of starting to put a break on our appetite. So we, we, we've eaten now, right? We're starting to re re receive nutrition. So when, we, when, when our GLP-1 levels go up, um, our appetite goes down. Our stomach emptying slows, right? Um, our pancreas makes more insulin, uh, getting ready to process that energy, right? And what what Gobi does is it is it it, it stimulates those that G, our small intestine to make GLP one. But guess what else stimulates GLP one? Fiber, right? So fiber has the exact same effect. It raises GLP one levels. It suppresses appetite. It smooths out the blood sugars because now we even we don't need as much insulin now because the glycemic load of the food. So glycemic load is a is a measurement of the, of the propensity of a given food to, to stimulate insulin response. So these high fiber foods have a much lower glycemic load, slows gastric emptying. So so really fiber is like nature's wagovi, right? Right. Yeah. So you can eat yourself happy <laughs> and thin. And thin. Right. Exactly. Now the other, there's another kind of, um, of, uh, uh, fiber called insoluble fiber. So insoluble fiber won't absorb water. It's not, it's not dissolvable water. So insoluble. And, um, so what it does, it helps add bulk to the stool and it's, and it helps prevent constipation. Uh, some of the constipation related illnesses are problems like diverticulitis or diverticulosis, but most importantly, colon cancer, right? Because you can imagine that 
part of the risk for colon cancer are toxins that we're ingesting get concentrated in our stool, right? We don't move it through. And the longer that is sitting in contact with the cells in our colon, the more likely they are to cause a mutation and cause cancer. So the faster you move things through, right, the less risk, the less risk you have for colon cancer, right? And in fact, in fact, if you look at cultures who eat a plant predominant diet, by the way, most plants like beans have, have a nice mix that you know, nice mix, half soluble, half insoluble, right? Um, so nuts are the same thing. It's a mix of the two. But if you look at cultures who follow plant predominant diet with very, very high fiber intake, they don't have words for colon cancer in their language because it doesn't exist. Isn't that crazy? It, then, no, that is crazy. Yeah. Um, and here in the United States, we have one of the highest rates of colon cancer Well, in the there's, world. there's certainly an uptick in the last several years. Right. And sadly enough, as you probably well know, they've just recently changed the screening guidelines. Yeah. So it used to be starting at age 50. They've moved it down to 45. Because we're seeing more and more colon cancer in, in younger people, most of that, I think, driven by chronic fiber deficiency. So I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so but you're, the screening that, that you're talking about is a colonoscopy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's so right. the screening for colonoscopy starts at what age? 45. 45. Right, right, right. Oh, my God. Okay. And, and, and you know, and, and as far as how much fiber we need, um, you know, again, the average American, believe it or not, gets 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day. And, you know, I mean, you'll hear when we get back to the soup in a minute, I mean, that the, the, the fiber has in, the, in this dish today, right? Yeah. Tons yeah. of fiber, more than most people get. Right. Um, the current recommendations are, you know, 25 to 30. I think that's low. I, I really think you really start to maximize the health benefits 40 to 50. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that's, that's where you, you should be. And, and again, the beautiful thing is when you're we're eating this whole food plant-based diet, and I do want to make a distinction here. This is important, especially because of the fiber. I want to make a distinction between a vegan diet in a whole food plant-based diet, because yeah. there's a lot of conflation out there these days, right? Um, you know, veganism comes from a place of compassion about not harming other creatures. And I think, granted, I think almost all of us at some point, or still do today, have some cognitive dissonance about where our food really comes from, right? You mean it doesn't come from the grocery You're store? You're right, that boneless, skinless chicken breast, <laughs> bloodless, wrapped up nice and neat in plastic, you know, there's a pretty horrific backstory to that. But, but the, the, the food decisions you make are about not harming other creatures, right? So don't eat them and don't wear them, don't use process them. But as you well know, there's a lot of fiber devoid, yeah. depleted, highly processed food that's vegan, right? You can right. get vegan ice cream and vegan cupcakes and Oreos and white flour and sugar. And a good example is something like Beyond Burgers. I mean, Beyond Burgers are better for the cow and they're better for the environment. And if you compare it to a, to a hamburger, uh, a little bit better for you, but not a health food. Right. Highly processed, not a lot of fiber, very high in fat. So, so again, the point is when we eat these whole foods, it's the it's the whole package, right? It's a package that has protein. It's got fiber. It's got healthy fats, right? Yeah. So potassium. That's potassium. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, so what do you have for us here today? So, okay. So when we start, I, when we were going over this, and you wanted a great fiber filled. And it does also, as you said, it's also full of protein, a uh, great fiber filled recipe. I knew that I had to share this one with you. Right. And I know that you've had it before. You've had many different renditions and you make your own too, right. but this chickpea chicken salad is 
my favorite. I actually have a girlfriend who, whenever I see her, she starts to like, she, the first thing she says is, hi, where is it? <laughs> because I, I've given her the chickpea salad so often yeah. that she's just, you know, conditioned to think that I have more for her every time I see her. So this is, as I said, chickpeas, uh, uh, chickpea, the base is chickpeas. Yeah. And it's so easy. I mean, don't blink. You'll miss it. This is the easiest recipe. And so many different chefs and cook, cooks have their own. This is my favorite. Uh, but, it, but it's real, real easy. Okay, we're going to start off with just chickpeas, right? Cooked chickpeas. And just, I like to use a gloved hand. You can use a potato masher. You can use a fork. doesn't matter. Uh, but just mash up most of them in your bowl. Uh, I don't mash them all up because I like the texture, texture yeah. and I like to see what I'm eating, right? So I'm going to mash up most of these here. Now, Jim, I'm putting you to work. All and right. Here are some, gonna, our soup is still cooking and we're going to get back to it. What do you want next? Okay. Um, let's put in, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's put in some celery and some uh, red onion. Tell me when. Okay. When. We've got a nice mixture here. What's next? Okay, let's do uh, the dill relish. All right. There's not a whole lot left in there. I think we're, we're good. Yep. Uh -huh. More? Yeah, yep. little, just a little, more, a little more. This is very scientific. Yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's Again, not like the, you're baking bread. The recipe, the recipes <laughs> are available. <laughs> okay, so now Dijon mustard. And if right. you don't have Dijon, you can just use yellow mustard. That's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a lot. It's very strong. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And work all that, work that through. You want all of this in every single bite. Okay, now the, the base. So the base of chicken salad most of the time is mayo. And what I like to use is tahini. And tahini is just ground sesame seeds. Now, when you buy tahini, make sure that the only thing in the ingredients part is ground sesame seeds. There might be some salt and that's fine, but just ground sesame seeds. You don't need anything else. No palm oil, extra sugars, right. extra way, a lot of extra salts, none right. of that. And that, that goes for any really nut butter, right? Because yes. it's technically, it's, kind of, it's not really a nut butter because it's not from well, nut, but it's it's the same idea, right? This is just crushed up sesame seeds. Same thing if you're getting peanut butter, almond butter, yeah. you just want peanuts, right? And a, and a tahini, I use it in the base of a lot of my salad dressings. Mm -hmm. um, I call it almost like a boring peanut butter, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. it does pull everything together. There's a little bit of flavor, but not too much laid on me. Tell me what let's do two. There you go. Yeah, two heaping. Good. Yep, that's good. And so this will really pull everything together. And again, it's up to you how much you want to put in there. Maybe just start with one tablespoon and see how you like it. Now we're going to add in some more texture. Almonds, great fiber, great fat, great uh, omega threes, right. Right? right? So you didn't think you're going to get that today with this. So, so Karen, so tell me, um, if I were to go to the deli today or go home and make my own chicken salad, oh, right, like this chicken salad, yeah, no, just regular chicken. Salad. Oh, regular right, chicken right. salad. Right, chicken, okay. you know, it's and mayo. mayo. And yeah. So, well, yeah, how does the nutrition of that compare? To this. Okay, so a regular chicken salad, and I know that a lot of people make it different ways, whatever, but the basic just chicken salad is per per half cup right. is gonna be about well, close to 20 grams of, of uh, fat. fat. Yeah. And how much fiber? 
um gosh it's like nine or ten grams of fiber no 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 the regular chicken salad. oh oh zero <laughs> oh fiber i'm fiber. sorry i'm thinking yeah. something yeah, yeah yeah so no fiber now there's a lot of protein there is a lot of protein um but you don't need that much right, protein right. right 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 and then what about this so so how much how much fat and fiber so the um that was just a little bit of salt so the fat content of our chickpea chicken salad is around Eight or right. so, so, yeah, yeah so and then the um, less, than, less, yeah, less than half, and then the protein. What do we know? The protein's about half, but it's plenty, yeah, right. And, and the fiber, though, is like what it was like six, eight grams, something like this that. This was closer to eight grams right, per right, serving, right. compared for a to, half of a cup, right? Compared to, to, to zero in regular chicken salad. So, again, it, it's this point that it's the package that our food comes in, right? right. It's yeah. so important, and that's this. I think this is a perfect example about. About when we get our foods in a package of animal that's primarily based on animal foods, right? What's missing? It's the fiber, right? It is the fiber. Yes, it definitely is. And and here's the thing: so when people come in, you know, we're broadcasting today from the Center for Plant-Based Living in St. Louis, and I do we do a lot of cooking classes here. And um, oh yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Um, and when people come in and we talk about fiber and we want to add more fiber to our plates, what does that look like? And we talk about these different foods and we talk about beans. Like today we put in chickpeas, right? And that's a pretty dense bean. Yeah. Now, if somebody does, you know, really starts eating a lot more beans and they get bloated, okay, that can happen. It happens to, to me sometimes every once in a while. I've been doing this since 2008. So, and they say, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I'm too bloated. Okay, just hear me out. If you go to the gym, if, if you haven't been to the gym in a month or so, if you've never been to the gym and you go and you've got your favorite playlist going and you hit it hard right. and you come the next morning, you're like, you can't even hardly walk because you're so sore. Have you ever said, well, exercise is not for me. It hurts. Right. Right. So it's the same thing with your stomach. You gotta train your gut, You've right? You've got to train your gut. So right. you wanna start, if you're, if you're starting to add more beans, I would say start with a lentil, like our lentil soup, right. because it, it's very small, it has a very thin skin, and it's very, very soft. A black bean is the same way, right. it's a very thin skin. Now a chickpea is gonna be fine, but you might want to do a hummus first so because pre digesting then you're pre digesting it yeah and even here might be okay because you're you're yeah, yeah, you know smushing them right 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 <laughs> so I, I that's why um you know you won't you don't want to go full on to 40 grams of fiber the first day the first day you want to tiptoe up right and on our website the center for plant-based living's website we have a really great free resource and it's called the fiber formula right and i teach people it's the number one thing i teach all of my students is to do this fiber formula so for four weeks you train your gut right one week it's 10 grams of fiber second week 20 30 and up to 40. it's right. such a gentle way right, right. to add more plants right and you know what's interesting the reason that people get that bloating and gas is not the beans the legumes it's the gut bacteria because if they don't have, you don't have the right gut bacteria to digest. So these, in the skin of these beans on the outside, there's some compounds called oligosaccharides. And that's just a fancy word for complex sugar. Oligo means like long and lots and saccharides mean sugar. And so when we don't have the right gut bacteria, 
to, to, to process these oligosaccharides in the beans. And that's why washing them sometimes too well, yeah. wash some of that off. Those sugars get passed into the colon because they haven't been digested and they actually get fermented, right? So you're like brewing. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so, so, so that's why the fiber formula works is because you're slowly allowing your gut bacteria to adapt to the higher fiber load in our diet. So that's exactly right. And there's and the reason though that it's it's not the and it is the beans, but not directly. It's it, it's the gut. It's a gut bacteria problem. Back yeah. to what we talked about earlier. That's so. I mean, I just find it's so fascinating. It is. It's so fascinating. It really is. Okay. So this is what it, this is the final product. Actually, I'm going to bring it up, um, and we'll do this at the end as well. But I just want to bring this up and show what that looks like. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. You know, you know, I make a version of this carrying with uh, with uh, curry powder cashews, tahini, and then I chop dates into it. It is so good. So again, you'll make it for me. Yeah, I will. I will. Okay. I, will. Right. I will. I will. So why don't we take a, a real quick break uh, before our last segment. Um, and we're going to be talking about soy. In oh, our last segment. So, this is, yeah. um, we'll be back in a minute. Okay.
All right, so our soup is still cooking up. Just give it a taste test. Delicious. Um, and then I think we're ready to go. Yeah. yeah. So one of the, um, okay, so we have this, um, this soy class coming up at the shop. Mm -hmm. And um, it sold out immediately, which tells me that everyone wants to know about soy and tofu. And really, it's a tofu class, but it's also just a, a soy information class. And, um, and then I had a woman call me and she said, you know, my girlfriend who is also coming to the class, she paid for her to come. Um, she doesn't know if she could still come because her, she was just diagnosed with breast cancer and her doctor wants her to stay clear of soy, which kind of broke my heart because I know that that's wrong in all of my reading, but I want you to break it down. And let me know, okay, there's two things. Why soy does not cause breast cancer. Right. And we hear this all the time. Right. Will it cause man boobs? No, that's right. And you know, the, the, the man boobs, this kind of mythology is, is part of what I call bro science. It's right up there with the protein, right? And you hear it all the time, right? You go to the gym and you hear guys talking, you know, my girlfriend wants to go vegan wants to feed me tofu and, you know, his buddy's like, no way I'm doing that. You know, I'm going to, I don't want to get man boobs. And, yeah. and, and, and just to set it, to set it straight right now, tofu does not cause man boobs. And, and we'll talk in a, and it doesn't cause breast cancer. And we'll talk in a minute about, about what really causes man boobs. But, um, so there's a lot of evidence around uh, tofu or soy in general and breast cancer. So first of all, if you look at population data, you know, what country in the world has the highest rates of breast cancer in the world? Well, we live here, uh, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Who has the lowest rates? What turns out is Japan and the parts of China with the highest soy consumption. And in fact, there's research suggests that high soy consumption lowers your risk for breast cancer by about 30%. There's also evidence that soy consumption reduces the risk of recurrence for breast cancer if you've already had it. And now we know that estrogen is a risk factor for breast cancer, right? For example, women who start their periods at a very young age, right? So they're exposed to estrogen for much longer over their lifespan. Uh, women who never have children, so they, they never take a break from estrogen. Um, um, you know, some of the estrogen-like compounds that you see in things like dairy and you know, plastic bottles and things like that, um, we do know those are risk factors for, for, for breast cancer. And so the, the, the idea is that the concern is soy and some other plants, but soy in particular has what are called phytoestrogen. So phyto means plant. So these plant-based estrogen-like compounds. And so, so the concern's always been, well, if I take all this extra phytoestrogen, it's going to act just like estrogen and increase my risk. But it turns out that the reason that people think that, that soy is protective against breast cancer is these phytoestrogens weakly bind to the estrogen receptor and they actually block the effect of estrogen, right? So when, when so estrogen can't bind to the breast cell and stimulate its growth because these phytoestrogens are, are, are in the way. Are blocking, so the they plants are blocking the, the, phyto, the real estrogen. That's exactly right. The extra estrogen yeah. that we might be making. That, that's exactly right. To create breast cancer. That's exactly right. And, and, and so it, it, it does make a difference where the soy comes from. Okay. Um, 
you really want to eat soy as close to the ground as it was grown, right? So when you think about whole bean preparations of soy, right? You've got, you've got edamame and, and, and tempeh is a fermented whole, whole bean uh, form of soy. And then you've got soy milk and then you've got tofu. And a lot of people will tofu isn't that highly processed. It's really not because all tofu is, is you take soy milk and you curdle it and you scrape the curds off and you press it in a block and that's tofu, right? Yeah. Um, so from bean to block, it's like it, three it, steps. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And research suggests about two to four servings a day of, of soy. Now, there are lots, most of the soy in the Western diet isn't from tofu and tempeh and edamame. It's from highly processed things like textured vegetable protein, which you see a lot in the vegan burgers, for example. Yeah. Uh, soy protein isolate, which you see in you know the big tubs of protein that the bodybuilders are used. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Powders, uh, soy lecithins, which is used in a lot of processed foods. Because it so it's a little bit more complicated, but it turns out there's actually two estrogen receptors in the breast cell, and these highly processed soy products look like they activate the other receptor, which may increase your risk. And I, and I think that's where, where some of this confusion came from, because some of the early studies looked at total soy consumption, not at the source of soy. And when they started to break it down and look at where the soy was coming from, that's when they found that these less processed sources of soy um, are, 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 have these health benefits. And there's a lot of other benefits, actually. Um, soy is high in fiber. Um, soy, you know, when we, the, it can protect, improve our, your bone health, right? Um, okay, but why? Well, That's because important. well, because again, it, it weak, so it weakly activates that estrogen receptor. So postmenopausal estrogen is protective for bones, and so when we um, when we weakly stimulate that estrogen receptor, it seems like it maintains helps maintain bone health. The other reason is it's probably the best source of calcium in, in our diet. So women who are concerned, you know, women need about eight hundred milligrams of of calcium a day and after menopause they need maybe a thousand maybe a little bit more um so as i mentioned earlier the way tofu is made is you take you take soy milk and, and you curdle it right and historically the curdling agent was was was, uh, was a gypsum which is calcium silicate so still today the way they make tofu they use a calcium based um a compound to, to coagulate to, to, to coagulate if you will to that, this, that, that make the tofu is some of that calcium stays in solution. So, uh, you know, a cup of tofu is, has about twice as much calcium as a, as a cup of milk, actually. And, and again, it's also been shown to help lower um, cholesterol. Um, so, so there's a lot of other health benefits of soy that go beyond protecting women from, from breast cancer. Right? So learn to cook the tofu. Right, yeah. right. And now, one my, actually, one of my favorite snacks is... Um, is edamame. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I put it in, I, yeah, put it in salads and stir fries. Yeah. And on and on. Now let's talk about mamboos, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so what really <laughs> causes what really causes mamboos, right? Well, so it turns out that obesity is the biggest driver of mamboos. There are so that the, the the clinical term is called gynecomastia. It just means enlarged breast tissue. You got to keep the field exclusive in medicine by using big words for to describe simple things. Yeah. So there's a lot of other causes, things like low, you know, like uh, uh, some specific hormone disorders. There's certain medications which can cause it. But the biggest driver in the modern world is obesity. 
And the reason is, you know, we used to think that adipose tissue was just a storage vessel for fat. And, um, but it turns out adipose tissue is highly, highly metabolically active. And it has an enzyme called aromatase. And aromatase's job is it takes testosterone and converts it to estrogen. So the more adipose tissue you have, the more of your testosterone that you're turning into estrogen. So it is estrogen that's causing the man boobs, but it's not from the soil, it's from obesity, which is also, by the way, why obese men oftentimes have issues with erectile dysfunction because their testosterone levels drop, right? Oh, yes. right? And so by losing weight, going on a whole from plant-based diet, losing weight, you know, not only do the man boobs go away, but your testosterone's come back up. Happy. That is crazy. The testosterone can convert yeah. to estrogen. That's right. Well, in fact, it's one of the reasons that it's felt that obesity is probably one of the biggest risk factors for breast cancer in women today, because women also make small amounts of testosterone. Now, not as much as men, right. but that extra, that testosterone is getting converted to, 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 to estrogen by the same enzyme. And so women who are obese have much higher levels of estrogen because they're converting some of their you know, normal testosterone into estrogen. So that's why obesity is one of the biggest drivers of not only breast cancer, but also gynecomastia. So fat, extra fat on the body, like right. too much fat, that's right? That's right. It really can be the root cause yeah. of, well, a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah. But yeah. including, it's a risk factor for, for, for again, for man boobs and for breast cancer. Right. Oh, well, happy times. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the happy times are, we're going to show you yeah. how, to, how to, to, to prevent breast cancer. Yeah, right? so, and I'll tell you what, like, I mean, I've been on this plant-based diet since 2008, and it took me a long time to feel comfortable with, with tofu, yeah, yeah. because I just didn't grow up with it, Right. you right. know, and then every time I ever saw it, like, in a restaurant menu, or watching somebody else eat it, or on a TV show, I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Right. Well, especially know? when you open it up, you know, and you take a little bite, and you're like, oh, it's this, gross. Is, this is like this gross. cardboard, there's no flavor, right? Well, I mean... There's like zero, yeah, zero right. flavor. Right. So let's let's just get to it. This is um just a Trader Joe's. This is a uh, super firm block of tofu. Feel that? That is real heavy. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and just by the way, there are two different types of tofu. So there's this regular type of tofu, and then there's also a silken right. tofu. Right. And both with regular and silken, there is a soft, medium firm, sometimes extra firm, right? right? And uh, with the silken tofu, I like to use that in, maybe I'll put it in a smoothie, I'll make a dip out of it. Right. Um, those are the softer tofus. But mousse, you, can do like a, uh, you could do like a dessert mousse, right? Well, so I would, with an ultra firm or a very firm silken tofu, I would use a, I would use that, yes. Yeah, but the silken mousse. tofu in general. Though, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. So but now, but today we're using regular tofu, mm -hmm. And this is the ultra firm because I want it to stand up. I want to, we're going to cube it and I don't want it to mash down. Right. So I'm going to open this up over a bowl. Usually I just do this over the sink. There's very little water in this and these vacuum packed extra firm tofus. So we're going to just cut this open. So if there's more, so some of the, like if it's less firm and there's more water, Use a tofu press, or how well, do you get yeah. press the water out? I'll tell you what. I just bought my first tofu press like a year ago. I'm not. I, I don't use it a whole lot. I yeah. use it if I am uh, if I am freezing my tofu. Yeah. And then draining it, I'll do it 
then, but this is just a regular, we yeah. did not freeze this. Right, right. So what I will do is just grab a kitchen towel, a clean kitchen towel, uh, paper towels, whatever you have, uh, and wrap it. And then just give it kind of a, a gentle but firm squeeze, because again, we want to keep we want to keep those cubes intact. Okay, so this is real, real easy. So now you have a pretty dried out cube, and I'm just going to cut this into bite-sized pieces. Bite-sized pieces. You can skewer these up; doesn't matter. You could you could um you know you could probably just do little steaks, you know, little triangles. Mm -hmm. Slabs. If you Slabs. That's the word I was looking for. Stuck. All right, so cube these up to bite-ish sizes and set them aside. I'm gonna cut you. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna now create a marinade. And whenever I marinate anything, whether it's vegetables, tofu, anything, I always use a resealable plastic bag. And I'll show you why in just a second. The marinade can be anything you right. want. I mean, today, I mean, it could just be barbecue sauce if you wanted, but we're going to use some coconut aminos, or you can use soy sauce, shoyu, tamari, whatever, but a, uh, a savory. So tell us a little about coconut aminos. How does that compare to, say, soy sauce? So coconut aminos is a new-ish-ish on the market. It's coconut-based, and it's going to be a lot lower in sodium right. than a soy sauce. And by the way, you know, soy sauce, miso, some of the soy condiments, um, they're they're okay, uh, but they do not have nearly as high a level of these flavonoids, these phytoestrogens, as the whole food. So they're, we're fine with soy. Exactly, that's okay. exactly. You're not you're not missing much from from the soy standpoint by using something like coconut aminos, especially you know, and if you factor in the salt part. Right. Part that is actually good news. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, okay, so we've I've just added a little bit of uh, sriracha, maple syrup, and our coconut aminos. Uh, you could add in some ginger if you wanted to, garlic. It doesn't matter. It's totally up to you. Now you I'm gonna, some garlic in there? Um, no. I'm just going to add a little bit of water, just to add a little bit of bulk here, but not too much because I don't want it to lose the flavors. Then you just add your tofu right into the bag. And this is so great because by putting it into a bag and then just get all of the sides well coated. It's hard to do this in a pan, but you can do it in a bag, right? right? And then we're going to seal it up and do your best to get as much of that air out of there right. as you can. And then what I would do now is just place this in the refrigerator. I like to marinate for at least 24 hours, really right. to make everything just super, super flavorful. And then every time you open up the fridge, just give it a toss. Because that, that tofu is almost like a sponge. Right? I mean, you know, the reason it tastes like it tastes like sponge and cardboard, right. yeah, but, but it's because it's so porous, right? So the longer you marinate it, the more it's going to soak up those flavors, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, and it's you know, it's nice if you just do one whole block of tofu, or maybe even two blocks, depending on the size of your family. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we would put this over to the side for just a second, and now because I like to dip just about everything, um, I'm going to make a dip for our tofu. All right, so let's start with, we're gonna add peanut butter is actually gonna be the base. So it's gonna be a nice peanut butter or peanut dip. And again, when you're looking for peanut butter, you wanna be sure, oftentimes they use palm oil 
to help yeah. emulsify the, the, the peanut butter. So you want to be careful with that. A lot of them have sugar added and all that. And what you're looking for is just peanuts, right? Just peanuts. Just peanuts. Yes. All right. So now we're going to add in, we're going to use a lot of the same ingredients. So right. we're going to add in some of our coconut aminos with that peanut butter. Now you are going to, oh, okay, thanks. I'm going to add in some lime. So good. Okay, and um, so you ginger. So make sure you have your microplane ready. Make and sure uh, yeah, we'll answer that. And you like to tell people. Oh yeah. Right? So this, I have to tell you, this is the one of my the favorite culinary tricks that Karen has ever taught me. She's taught me a lot, but this is a, this is a top five probably because you know you buy you buy a thing of fresh ginger and you use it in a recipe. And, and you put it in the refrigerator and a couple weeks later, you, you got, you, you want to, you're going to do some, cook another recipe that calls for ginger. And you open up your refrigerator and it's all shriveled up Soft. and dried up, kind of nasty. And she says, oh, you don't need to put it in the refrigerator, put it in the freezer and freeze it. And then you just take it out as she's done this ginger straight out of the freezer. And then she just grates it frozen and it's beautiful. And then when you, and you can leave the skin on. And when you're done, you put it back in the freezer. And, and so instead of the, the, the ginger lasting a week or two, it lasts months. months. Really? Yes. So freeze your ginger. Freeze it's really, uh, your ginger. It's really, uh, um, it's really amazing. Okay. And then you can put in some, well, actually, I'll, yeah, see if I can. Our garlic is pretty soft, but I'm going to see if I can't. Uh, oh, there you can. Use the, use the microplane for this as well. Just, let's see, we'll do, we'll do two cloves. Maybe not. Yeah, we go. Okay, so we have that, and we're gonna get these little guys on the back end. These microplants are the best. Oh yeah, it's Gosh. Awesome. And then just a little bit of water, just so I can whisk it. All right, so we're gonna let this sit for just a minute. Now, let's talk about this air fryer. Yeah. Okay? Yep. So I'm choosing to, oh, I didn't add the, I'm choosing to air fry our um, our tofu, it's really nice during the summer because your whole kitchen won't get hot, um, but it's gonna give us that fried, that almost that deep fried texture without adding any oil and, um, and hardly any calories. That's right, right, that's right. Again, you know, when we talked earlier, uh, you know, especially if you look at obesity rates, you look at diabetes rates, pre-diabetes rates, um, you know, insulin resistance, and, and I know Robbie and Cyrus have been on this this conference and, uh, uh, Robbie, uh, about talking mastering diabetes, talking about that the root cause of insulin resistance is not sugar; it's actually fat. Too much fat. It has in that muscle and liver cells. And as, as you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about oil-free cooking, you know, oils are ubiquitous. You you know, you go to Trader Joe's and you get some really healthy-looking lentil chips, and you know, you look, it's full oil. So I mean, we're getting tons and tons and tons of extra fat and again ideally you know if you look at ancestral diets we probably got 10 percent of our calories from fat that's like 30 35 grams a day and so so there's some simple ways to get rid of the fat oil-free cooking is one 
air fryer is another, right? Yeah. Because, you know, instead of making French fries and fried this and fried that, the air fryer is fantastic. And if you have an air fryer for as long as I have and use it as many times as I have. Oh, this, is, yeah, this is like yeah. my second so, favorite, one of my other things you turned me on to. I mean, when I found this. So this is an old school, I mean, but I love it. Tried and true. The only thing this does is air fry. It doesn't do everything else. Um, but the basket, which used to be nonstick, isn't so nonstick anymore because it's old and I've used it. Until we found parchment paper right, for goes, the air fryer, right? It was amazing. right in there, yeah, so yeah. The, the air can circulate. Now let's just pretend, wink, wink, that this has been marinating for 24 hours, and I would put a few cubes in here. I would let's see, what 390 degrees, yeah. 10 minutes, shake, five and then another minutes. five to 10 more. So yeah. we put this. Turn it on. We're not gonna because it's too loud. Right. But Jim, if you want to grab. But why don't I want to do this? Why don't we take another quick break, and we'll we'll bring we'll finish up the soup. Oh, okay. Okay. And we'll show you the finished tofu product, and then we'll move on from there to questions question and answer. answer. So yep. why don't we? Uh, we'll be back in about in just a couple minutes. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna reset things one for the last time, and we'll see you back in a second. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I'm ready to eat. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So let's finish up this soup that has been cooking in 
this whole shop smells yeah, delicious. Yeah, it does, it does. All right, so what we're gonna do, and this is a great way to add more greens to your diet, Stoop, uh, soups, stews, um, anything like that, yeah. throw your greens in there. It doesn't matter, right? You can switch the chart. I, I mean, I can tell you, I, you know, I have some green averse, uh, I had some green, greens averse kids in my family. And, yeah. And, you know, this is a great way to hide the greens, right? Because you can get all that nutrition packed in there. It doesn't really change the flavor too much. And again, it doesn't really matter. Kale, beet greens, Swiss chard, spinach, um, a great way to increase the nutrition and the fiber um, yeah. in, 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 in your, in your, in your, in your. And spinach meal. is so full of water, this baby spinach, you can add a ton of it. We've all seen those memes right. where the first frying pan has a mountain full of greens. Right. And then the next meme, it's like this much. Right, 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 right. Okay, so that is already wilted down, and I'm going to add in a little bit of uh, lemon. Now this will brighten it up. Um, this will brighten up your soup. But what I the most most of the time, if I have leftovers, mm -hmm. and when I make a soup, I make a ton of soup and eat it all week, right? But leftovers can kind of taste a little. I don't know. Just they can lose their luster, right? right. So if you add brightness from a lemon, you right. will not get a lemony flavor. It'll just it'll bring up. all the flavors back to life, right? right? So we're going to add a little bit here just because it's right now and I'm doing it right now. And, you know, there's another kind of nutrition science reason to add lemon to that soup. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, plant-based diets, um, one of the nutrients of concerns, um, you know, especially for premenopausal women, is iron, right? So our dietary iron comes in two forms. It comes in what's called heme iron. So heme is hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is the, is the protein in our blood that carries oxygen. It's what makes our blood red, right? So when you eat a piece of, um, and you're getting that heme iron, what, where it's actually coming from, and this is really disgusting to think about it, it's coming from some of that dead animal blood that we're yeah, ingesting. No thanks. Now our bodies will absorb as much heme iron as we, we ingest. And, and, but here's the problem. Heme iron is highly, highly, highly inflammatory. It's what's called a pro-oxidant. So it can damage DNA. It can, it can cause you know, a lot of adverse health consequences. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that red meat is associated, it's felt, is associated with an increased risk of, of, um, of both heart disease, but also colon cancer. Because the heme iron is damaging the DNA and those cells. It's oxidizing the LDL particles as far as heart disease goes. Um, so, and, and there are some people, by the way, uh, who have a condition called uh, hemochromatosis, which is a, a genetic disorder. It's more common than people think, where we can't metabolize iron very well. And so when we, when we eat all this heme iron, it gets stored in our liver and it can cause all kinds of problems. Um, huh. Now, there is iron in plants. Yeah. And in fact, both the lentils and the spinach in the soup are, are packed full of iron, but it's non-heme iron. So it's much more difficult for our bodies to absorb the non-heme iron. However, if you co-ingest a source of vitamin C, like the lemon juice, with these higher iron foods, you'll see absorption rates of heme iron that equal or surpass, 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 thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm drooling, you know, from the food. Uh, so, so you'll see actually higher absorption rates in you with, 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 with heme iron. And it's self-regulating. So when our iron stores are replete, we will stop absorbing the extra non-heme iron, right? 
Our so, bodies are so smart. Yeah, they are. You know, they are. So, so again, so the idea is just do exactly what Karen did. When you have, you know, you're, you're making a, a soup or a stew, you add or, or a salad, you know, with these high iron foods, green leafy vegetables, the, the legumes, you put a little lemon juice, you brighten with a little lime juice, um, you know, snack on citrus fruits, you, you know, red bell pepper is a great source of vitamins. I add so, lemon to my hummus. Yeah, there we go. That's a, the same kind of thing. So, so there's another reason to be putting to these citrus to, to dress your soup besides brighten it. Um, it, yeah. it's, it can help with iron absorption. Yeah, and you know what I'm going to do here is I'm going to I want to show everyone what yeah. the tofu looks yeah, like yeah. at the end. So we've got some nice let's see, this right here. You can see how those edges look really, it's really crispy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's delicious. And then um, the soup is, I mean, there's just so much going on in here. So right? much flavor. Yeah. So much flavor. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think, yeah. I mean, if it's okay if we eat well. Yeah. <laughs> we maybe, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't yeah. eat with our mouth. I know. We save, we'll save this for just after. So I, I think we're ready to take uh, any questions you might have. And um, we have an, another uh, bit of time. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, uh, the very delicious looking demonstration. So, um, yes, so, welcome. So now we are going to begin the Q&A section. Um, and before we do, uh, before we open up to the audience and start asking questions, um, do you guys want to tell us where you can get your um, books and reach out to you guys? So the recipes, um, if anyone's interested, are on the Center for Plant-Based Living's website. Mm -hmm. They're all there. Um, actually, to make it easier, um, we were just at the Fairfax Veg Fest two weeks ago. And if you go to the blog section of um, the Center for Plant-Based Living's website, you'll see all those recipes because we did the same, mm -hmm. the same we show. Tweeted, 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 well, tweeted, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also you can go to the recipes or you go to the blog posts. So um, oh. you, you can also link it through. We have our new doc and chef. If you go to YouTube and, and, and the information about each segment, there's a link to the recipes and the blog posts and the recipes are, are similar. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It will be out there. Yeah. But this one's on your, this is on your, on your sense plant-based living. Website. Yeah. Great. And, and then also your YouTube channel again. The doc and chef. Yep. The doc and chef. The doc and chef. All right, perfect. So we're going to um, start opening up to the audience. So thank you for sharing that information. Um, so what? I, uh, before I, I open up to the audience, I'm just going to go over a couple of things uh, so that people understand um, how this works. So we don't, we don't take questions directly from the chat. Instead, we ask everyone to virtually raise their hand. If you're not sure how, how to do this, what you need to do is click on the reactions button second from the right and the bottom of the Zoom window, then click on the raise hand function in the menu that pops up. We will then take questions in the order in which they were received. When it's your turn, I will unmute you and ask you to state where you're from and to ask your question. We ask that everyone keep their questions brief and on topic. We will then mute you. If you do wish to ask another question or a follow-up question, uh, please just raise your hand again and we will uh, get to you uh, as assuming we have time. So our first question is gonna come from Ruth. Ruth, please let us know where you are and ask your question. Uh, hi, um, I'm from Canada, from uh, Toronto, Ontario. And my question has to do with 
uh, someone who is having to eat low oxalate foods, and that would cancel out the beans, uh, the, nut, the almonds, uh, spinach, beets, uh, and tofu, soy products. I don't know if anybody there knows very much about uh, oxalates. I, I certainly didn't, and I know a lot of doctors don't know too much about it, but there, I, I was reading a book by Sally K. Norton, and she was a dietitian, and um, she talks about uh, the effects of, of, of having high oxalates. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I know that um, if you have a problem with kidney stones, you definitely have to go on a low oxalate diet. But aside from that, there are people who have to um, lower their oxalate intake. And she explains all this in the book. But this, this sort of eradicates everything are pretty well, well, not everything, but so many of the foods that are important uh, on, on a, um, a whole food plant-based diet. I'm just wondering if you know anything about that uh, and uh, uh, how can we maintain a diet like this? I mean, she says that um, uh, what is good are all, all the animal, you could have the animal fats, uh, eggs and uh, all the things that the, the guests on, the, on this uh, conference are against. Uh, so, okay, that's, that's what I want to ask you about. Thank well, you. yes, Ruth, thank you for your question. And thank you for, for watching us. We really, we both really appreciate it. Um, I will, I'm going to let, uh, the doctor take most of this, but this is something that I like to say just to kind of drive home the point, first of all, with the oxalates. Now, if, those oxalates are heavily present in uncooked beans. So uh, I think that you're going to be wanting to find a dentist before you find any other kind of, of doctor, because nobody is going to want to eat an uncooked right. bean, right? right? And so what happens is when you cook the beans and you cook uh, some of the higher oxalate greens and some of these other foods that Sally says are high in oxalates, if you cook them, you cook those dangerous and, and harmful oxalates out and the ones that stay are actually beneficial. No, that's right. So I, I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of kind of talk out there around, especially in the paleo community, right? Or the keto community about anti-nutrients in food. So that includes uh, phytates, lethicins, oxalates, and things like that. And, and, and to Sally's point, um, it is true that, that some people uh, who are prone to kidney stones do have to be somewhat careful with oxalates um, um, because and, 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 uh, because oxalates can be the night as the, 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 the start the kidney stone formation. However, for, I know of no sound scientific evidence to suggest that lethicins, phytates, oxalates in the context of a healthy whole food plant-based diet is, has any adverse health effects. It's just not true. And again, a lot of these arguments are, yes, beans have a lot of oxalates. Yes, beans have phytates. Yes, Grain beans have, have lead. Yeah. Exactly. But as Karen already said, when we cook these vegetables, we cook the beans, we cook the spinach, that, the, that cooks out, if you will, these anti-nutrients. And I mean, again, you know, for those of you who might not be familiar with the blue zones, Right. So the blue zones are uh, Dan Buettner and National Geographic identified five different cultures around the world that have exceptional longevity. They have very high rates of, of people over 100 years old. So it's uh, Okinawa and Japan and Ikara and Greece and Sardinia and in, in, uh, in Italy, the Nicoya Peninsula and Costa Rica, and then also uh, Loma Linda, California. 
which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but what do they have in common, right? So if you do a Venn diagram about what they have in common, beans are their primary source yeah. of protein. And they eat a lot, a ton of green leafy vegetables and on and on. So if there was somehow some anti-nutrients in these foods, I don't think that they would be the longest lived people in the world. And by the way, the reason Loma Linda, that might, people might ask, well, why in the world would Loma Linda, California be on that list? Well, it turns out Loma Linda, California has one of the highest populations uh, per capita of Seventh-day Adventists. And Seventh-day Adventists follow plant-based diet as part of their religious practice. I hope that helps, Ruth. Thank you so much. So our next question is coming from Cheryl. Cheryl, please state where you're from and ask your question. Hi, I'm from Santa Rosa, California, and thank you so much for the very fun presentation, a fun way to learn. And my question is about coconut and specifically the saturated fat. I know you used coconut aminos, but what about unsweetened coconut milk or unsweetened coconut cream? Do you think it's safe for a healthy person that's oil-free, whole foods, plant-based to use that occasionally in a recipe? Do you ever, or what I really want to know is, do you two ever use those things? <laughs> right, right. That's what she wants to know. So, so, so again, you know, I, I think the idea here is, and this, this is a great question because it gets to the point. Mm -hmm. The idea here is in general, we want to eat our food as close to the ground as it came. So you think about a coconut, right? You've got the coconut milk, the coconut water in the middle, and then you've got the coconut meat. And if you press that meat, you can get, you get coconut milk. Or you can really refine it completely and get coconut oil, Yeah. right? So, so I think shredded coconut is fine. I do use some coconut milk in, in, in some recipes. But here's the thing. Um, for people who have really, high, really, really high cholesterol, because you are right, most of, the, most of the fat in coconut is saturated fat. So people that have really high cholesterol, or in particular, if they're trying to reverse their insulin resistance, you have to be very careful. I, I would, I do not recommend using coconut milk and such as that in the three to four months it takes most people to reverse their insulin resistance. I think in the context of a, a healthy plant-based diet, once you've kind of got your insulin resistance under control, I think it's fine. But again, it needs to be in the context of no more than 30 to 35 grams of total fat a day, right? So if you're using coconut milk, say in a, in a, in a soup, a butternut squash, like I, I make a Thai curry butternut squash uh, soup that I use coconut milk in. And, and um, so, so, you know, on that day, you probably don't want to be eating handfuls of nuts and things like that. Yeah. No avocado toast. That right, right, right. Exactly. So, so I think, I think that coconut milk is okay. Um, but again, I, the, the only caution is if you've got insulin resistance, prediabetes or type two diabetes, you, you do have to be very careful with that in the initial phases where you're trying to reverse your insulin resistance. Great, thank you so much, doctor. Our next question is coming from Evelyn. Evelyn, please state where you're from and ask your question. Hi, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And my question is about the air fryer. So I know that with high temperatures and high carbohydrate foods, the Menard reaction causes acrylamides in, uh, in foods. And so I'm wondering if there's, if this is happening with the high heat in the air fryer, I know there's there's only a little bit of sugar in those coconut aminos, uh, but and the, there's there's carbohydrates in the beans, and so I know it's a no no really for potatoes and really high starchy foods. But what about anything happening with the tofu? Yeah, so so it's interesting. So the, the acrylamides you're talking about, you are correct. When we cook meat in particular at a high at a high level. 
uh, you, you, it does create acrylamides, which have been shown to be carcinogenic and such like that. But it's not, it's not the Maillard reaction isn't just with the sugar. It's a reaction between the sugar and the protein. And because the, the makeup of, of and as we talked about in our very first segment, because the protein content of these vegetables is much lower and it's a different makeup of amino acids, you really don't have to worry too much about it, uh, frankly. Um, now, deep frying food is a different story. That's why we use the air fryer. That's another reason, by the way, that cooking oil-free is important because when we cook oils at a high temperature, um, that, that it's above their smoke point, right? And olive oil, for example, has a pretty low smoke point. Um, um, that it, create, it, it, it makes what are called trans fats, which are like really bad for you, heart disease and things like that. So again, that's why the air fryer is so, such a powerful tool. But I don't think you have to worry about the acrylamides when you're using veggies in an air fryer because, um, because it's, 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 it's the, it, what, where the acrylides come from, it's a reaction between the sugar and the proteins. And because of the different protein mix, uh, it's been shown. There's some research around that. And, uh, Dr. You just mentioned um, heating up oil and, and that not being necessarily uh, good. Um, there's also um, talk of uh, of oil becoming carcinogenic when you right. heat it up. That's right. um, can, you, can, you t- can you speak to that? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same idea. These trans fats, you can it develops. Uh, you know, like like uh, ACA. I'm blocking on the name, but there's several. There's some chemical reactions that occur with the oil. They create these carcinogens. Also, like smoking meat, same thing. Cooking cooking meat at a high temperature, cooking food, frying food. Again, that's the acrylamides and all that. Those things. And so, so it's you're, you're right. I mean, it it, trans, it it changes the chemical properties of the oil and makes them much more highly inflammatory and bad for our DNA and our cholesterol mo- molecules and things like that. It creates a lot of oxidative stress. Thank you for that answer. Our next question is coming from Kay. Kay, please state where you're from and ask your question. Hi, I'm from Wisconsin. Um, I just wanted to ask a follow-up question on the oxalates. I understand that oxalates can prevent calcium absorption. And so I was curious about that in relation to bone health. So again, like I said earlier, the, you're right, high oxalate foods, that's, that's, that's again, one of the arguments around the anti-nutrient properties of, of things like oxalate phytates fall into that same category. Phytates can block the absorption of things like calcium. So again, when we, when we cook food, so for example, when you cook spinach, the oxalate content drops between 50 and 80%, right? Between what? Say that again. 50 and 80%. 50 to 80%. Less, less oxalates when we cook spinach, for example. So again, I, I think if you're eating a well-balanced whole food plant-based diet with a combination of some raw foods, some cooked foods, again, it's just not something you need, you need to worry about. Great. Thank you very much. So, um, so with like chickpeas and quinoa, I'm going to ask you some, uh, you know, a little bit of a cooking question here. Chickpeas and quinoa, what would make those taste good? What would you add to them? Is oil okay to add to them? Chickpeas and quinoa. quinoa yeah. Oh, quinoa, not, not necessarily together. Just kind of things that are people, I think, consider um, plain. And yeah. just spice up the foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, there you go. I gotta tell you, I mean, the spice drawers is my friend. You know, um, there is one. You need to get that for twenty one seasoning. There's one. If you're if if you're watching your sodium intake, um, there is 
one uh, seasoning that I absolutely love, and all my students here always just get a kick out of it. And in fact, in Christmas, they came in for, I had a Christmas big dinner party and I gave everybody a bottle of this and they all laughed at me because they said, where'd you get it from your back room, right? You didn't go out and shop for right. it because I had so many of them. It's Trader Joe's 21 Seasoning Salute. They always have it. It's $1.99, has 21 herbs in it. It's fantastic. I put it in my, uh, put it in your, um, in your, in your quinoa. Um, you could put it over chickpeas. You could put it into this chickpea salad. I definitely put it in my burger mixes, pastas. If I make a pizza, it goes on top of that. It goes in my salad dressings. So open up your spice drawer and just have a good time. Really, that's what it's all about. Right. I mean, you know, it's interesting when I when I look back before I was plant based, and I, you know, when I used to cook. You know, the, most of the flavor came from salt, right? I know. Now it doesn't. And 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 now, you know, you discover all of these amazing flavors in 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 the spice drawer, like you said. That I, you know, I mean, I, I've never heard of half of them, right? right? Like cardamom, like who heard of cardamom, right? Well, I mean, like that. Makes, you know, he, he mentioned earlier he makes this chickpea salad, a, a version of it, but with curry and dates. Right. No, exactly. You know, like so, I, there's so much. And the other thing is, just speaking of health, I mean the some of the most powerful antioxidants, anti-counter oh, right. foods out there are herbs and spices, mm -hmm. right? You think you look at things like turmeric, which is curcumin. So curcumin is a very, very potent antioxidant, anti-cancer compound. The, you know, the, the quercetin in the garlic, which you can use to flavor foods, but even things like cinnamon and ginger. Yeah. I mean, the list goes, I mean, we could, we could have a whole two hour lecture just on the health benefits right. of, of these individual spices. And we're going to get to some of those on our Doc and Chef show a little bit further down the road. Where we're going to do shows on some of these specific spices. So again, you know, you're, you're the, it's, it's really a playground, right? Yeah. To, to experiment around and, um, it's, it's, it's great. And now you mentioned a few spices. Are there any that, that you think are like really, really like the best ones as far as if you want to add the, the highest nutritional value to their, to their meals, what, what would, which ones would you choose? And, and, and then also how are they easy to cook with? Are they easy to prepare food with so it tastes good? So I would say, I would say the turmeric is probably one is probably the highest, at least one of the yeah. highest anti-inflammatories. Right. Now, and you don't need a whole lot of it. It does have a pretty earthy flavor. So it might be something that you want to get used to. Um, the curries are good. I love turmeric base, right? And then, but also do just, you know, your body doesn't absorb those very easily, those anti-inflammatory properties from the spices very easily. So you want to help it out by adding just a little bit of ground black pepper. Right. So black pepper uh, has shown, to, so curcumin is the active anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer compound in turmeric and uh, black pepper uh, increases the absorption by about, by about 40%. So turmeric, I, I agree, turmeric. And, you know, there's a lot of places you can hide turmeric. I love to make a tofu scramble and, and, you know, you massage some turmeric in there and guess what? It looks like eggs, right? And you add a little black salt or kalanamak, which is a, a volcanic salt used in Northern Indian cooking. It gives that eggy flavor. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, I put turmeric in a lot of stuff and you can put a little bit, I mean, it's, 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 it has a little bit of earthy flavor, but a little bit, you can throw it in pretty much anything. You, you could have, we could have thrown it in this soup. Yeah. We you wouldn't, you wouldn't have known. So yeah. that's a, that's an easy one. And I, um, um, and the, what's interesting about turmeric, by the way, there's some interesting research fairly recently that, that looked at people with chronic degenerative arthritis who took turmeric supplements compared to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so that's Motrin, Aleve, ibuprofen, 
the benefit from the turmeric equaled that of the drugs without yeah. any. Can you to that? Isn't that yeah. crazy? So when I was training for Ironman, I actually was taking a turmeric capsule just to be sure I was getting all that, that anti-inflammatory compounds um, in my body. Thank you. And you mentioned black pepper to help absorb the, the turmeric, uh, the turmeric. Does that work for other things? Does black pepper help like absorb, help uh, absorb food in general or nutrients from food in general, or is it unique to, to turmeric? It's I unique to turmeric. Yeah. Black pepper has its own set of, oh, of, of health benefits. You know, again, it, it, you know, all these compounds have, um, you know, anti-cancer, anti, antibacterial. We were just properties. reading about the fat. Uh, didn't black ground black pepper yeah, help, help burn fat help, yeah. help burns fat also right so right. add it to everything right <laughs> all right sounds sounds good our next question is coming from ruth ruth where are you from and ask you hi i this is a a follow-up question okay. um i'm from canada I, I was already asking you about the oxalates now i want to ask you about the tofu um i don't have an air fryer um how would you uh guide somebody to um to cook that let's say in the oven and at what temperature so um or, really, yeah okay um do you have a convection setting on your oven yes yes i do good so then just um line a line a baking sheet with some parchment paper and do exactly what we did today marinate and um lay it all out on that parchment paper on the pan and there's usually about, I don't know, a 25 degree difference. Um, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I'm thinking probably 15 minutes at 4, 425. Um, and then take a look at it, flip them all over, and then give it half that amount of time, same temperature, and see where you are. Now, here's the thing with, with this tofu. Some people like it really well done on the outside. Crispy, Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes people just want just a little bit of, of color change and, and still a little soft. It's totally up to you. So whenever you find that right temperature, time combination, write it down, put it in your phone, something. But uh, you'll be fine in the, in the convection oven. The other nice thing about this tofu, by the way, you know, depending on how you, what marinade you use, you can just throw this in the refrigerator. You can use it to dress a salad. Oh, you know, it's, use it's it all good. Use it as a snack. I mean, it's a great way to add again, get get that 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 soy and the protein and the fiber that we all need. Um, yeah. Um, and and it's it's very versatile, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can skewer it up with vegetables and put it on the grill. Yep. Yep. Oh, that sounds great. All right, our next question is coming from David. David, please ask a question. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, um, this is David from uh, Framingham, Massachusetts. And my question is, what are your thoughts about roasted nuts and seeds? I've heard some thoughts uh, from some of the speakers, even here, uh, that uh, roasted nuts and seeds are like, you know, heated oil, that carcinogen. Um, would like to understand and hear your thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know of any solid research suggests that roasted nuts are, are carcinogenic. I mean, theory, I mean, again, the thing is, like anything, you don't, you know, you, you wouldn't want to sit down and eat a, you know, a pound of roasted nuts at a, at a, at a setting. Right. Um, but, but I think roasted nuts every now and then now, like for me, um, the, the main nut I use, the two main three nuts I use, and they're not roasted are walnuts, almonds, and, and the cashews. And I get them un, you know, unroasted 
Um, I think if, you know, if you have a roasted nut every now and then as a snack, I don't think that's, I mean, you're probably more worried about the salt than anything. Well, I think that if you are out shopping, then buying raw is the best. That's right. Um, but I would, I would imagine, I think that I have actually read some research on this. Uh, it's been a while though, so I'm a little bit rusty on it. Um, but because of the high temperatures yeah. and the naturally occurring oils in the nuts, yeah. there, there is, a reaction, there yeah. is a little bit of a chemical so reaction, just, but if you are, so if you're eating copious amounts, so if, if you really like to snack on nuts a lot, then I would say go to raw, you know, mm -hmm. every, well, actually most of the time. And if you really like those roasted nuts, maybe every fourth or fifth time you go to the grocery store, that's when you get your roasted nuts. But, right. uh, I, I would say go for the raw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, there's some dishes like in, around Thanksgiving, I might do some roasted Brussels sprouts and throw a few pecans in there. So yeah. they're kind of somewhat roasted. I, again, I, I just don't, I, I don't know of any solid research that's really looked at. I mean, you know, as you know, nutritional research is notoriously difficult to do and, and, you know, to trying to put, you know, take a, 10,000 people and half of them on roasted nuts and half of them not and control for all the other nutritional variables, you know, it's kind of hard to, that's research that really can't be done. I mean, I think you are correct. There, there may be some theoretical concerns, but I think roasted nuts in moderation, you know, sparingly are probably okay. Yeah. And really looking for the unroasted nuts, um, you know, for when you're using them from a culinary standpoint. Unsalted, unroasted. Right. Yeah. Unsalted. Thank you. All right. Question on nitric oxide. What foods contain nitric oxide and what are the health benefits of it? Go first and then I'll, you can, I'll give you the foods. Right? <laughs> so, so nitric oxide, so, so nitric oxides are very, very important, fundamentally important for what's called endothelial function. So our, our blood vessels have a single cell lining called the endothelium. And, and for our vascular system to work appropriately, that those blood vessels need to dilate and constrict physiologically when, when, when they need to. And um, one of the problems is because of the Western diet, um, we develop, people develop endothelial dysfunction. And so our blood vessels can't constrict and dilate. Uh, that puts you at increased risk for things like heart disease. It's actually the root cause of erectile dysfunction. Right. Um, and, and a lot of people now think that erectile dysfunction is the canary in the coal mine for heart disease. Uh, and this is a situation where size matters, right? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the penile artery is pretty small, the coronary artery is pretty big. You get 50% blockage in your coronary artery. That might be some problems down the road, but in the short run, not that big a deal. You get 50% blockage in this little artery. Well, next thing you know, you've got, you've got erectile dysfunction. So, um, and there are other things, you know, things like smoking and blood pressure and all that, which can affect it. But there are foods which Karen's going to talk about in a minute, which have been able, which activate nitric oxide. And, and I can tell you, there's some fascinating research in the endurance athlete literature that foods, by using foods that are high in, in that activate nitric oxide, you can increase your endurance performance by up to 10 to 15%. And again, I, I, you know, because now you're not, you're able to deliver more blood to your, to your muscles. You're able to clean out that lactic acid. And, you know, when you're done exercising, and I can tell you that um, I, I discovered that again when I was at 60 years old training for an Ironman. And I can tell you, I, I made liberal use of these high nitric oxide foods. And I think it's one of the things that helped me recover faster, oh, sure. you know, not get sore, not get sick. So nitric oxide foods. So what you're what you're looking for are foods that are higher in nitrates, not nitrites, nitrates, N-I-T-R-A-T-E. 
And what happens is when you eat these nitrates, that you create more nitric oxide by chewing them. So the saliva in your mouth then mixes with the nitrates in the vegetables and creates nitric oxide. Now it also does that in your gut. So you make, you can, your body, first of all, your body makes its own nitric oxide up until you're about 50 years old. And then 10, every 10 years, you start to lose 10% of that, right? So you need to backfill, or you need to create your own nitric oxide. And again, you do these with these dark leafy greens, beets, beets are, are a big one, yeah. beet greens are a big one. And there's really a, a walnuts, arugula, yes. So, but, but, but there's a, there's even more to this whole nitric oxide story is number one, you want to not always, not always have smoothies because you want to chew these nitrate heavy vegetables, foods, plants. Um, and then you want to make sure that it gets in your saliva. So you're making it here. And then it's also converting with, with the uh, acid, the acid in your stomach. So along those, <laughs> along this uh, storyline, you might want to, I'm going to, Pitch, I did a blog post on this and I was, I also did a television segment on this. You might want to, if, if you're on any kind of, um, if you use mouthwash, so a therapeutic mouthwash, you may want to stay away from, because if you are eating these nitrate heavy vegetables in hopes to create more nitric oxide, if you're chewing that, but you have a thick, you use a therapeutic mouthwash, um, then you're not going to be creating those, that nitric oxide. And also, if you are using a PPO, PPI, 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 not a PPO, PPI for. Um, so, 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 yeah, PPIs are called proton pump inhibitors, inhibitors okay. and they're designed to decrease stomach gas. So, like, if you're taking something like Nexium or something like that, uh, um, then that is that is going to control the acid production in your in your gut, and therefore you will not be making as much nitric oxide as you want to. So, so look at your mouthwash. Look at your PP eyes. Um, those are just some, some, some things you might want to look at. And if you're looking for more information on this, if you go to our website, go to the blog, I did a long blog post and a television um, segment on it as well. So, um, but you can, I mean, you can just Google. I mean, if you just, if you're just looking for nitrate heavy plants or foods, you can, that's an easy Google also. Right. And if you want, if you want to do a deeper dive, you just go to something like PubMed and put in, you know, beats and athletic performance. Uh, you, you'll see some of that research. And it also, you know, it really is almost nature's Viagra as well, because it, it does, it does help men restore that endothelial function, you know, to, to allow them to attain and maintain, you know, erections and things like that. So. Hope that helps. I know that was long-winded. No, no, that was, that was great. That was great. So, um, we only have like a, a minute left. So I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Um, okay, so raw organic seeds, are they are they all good or are there ones that are not good or some better than others like sesame, sunflower, pumpkin, flax, chia, hemp, poppy? Yeah, no, I, th I think they're all good. The, the only, again, the only caveat is they, are, they do have a lot of fat. So again, if you've got prediabetes, insulin resistance, type two diabetes, you do have to be a little bit careful about over consuming the nuts and seeds, and they're they're an excellent source. Of, not so much the poppy seed, but the chia seed, the hemp seed, the pumpkin seed. Excellent source of, of plant based omega three fatty acids. Oh, but can I just say, yeah. if you're gonna have if you're gonna have flax seeds, you grind crush it. Them. You got to grind them. them right. Yeah. And Dr. Greger talks about actually grinding the chia seeds yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, 
uh, to really to release to really increase the surface area so you can absorb more of the, the, those omega threes. So nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. Sesame seeds are a great source of, of, of calcium. Actually, uh, the only caveat with the nuts and seed with the seeds and then nuts, the same category is just the fat, and so it needs to be in the context of thirty to thirty-five grams of fat a day, especially if you're trying to reverse your insulin resistance. Great. Thank you so much. This is a really great demonstration. I'm going to definitely check out the, the recipes. As I can tell in the chat, a lot of our uh, audience are going to as well. So with that, I'm going to open up the uh, the mics and unmute the audience. You can hear a whole cacophony of thanks from the audience. <laughs> we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really interesting. I can't wait. Thank to you all so much. Thanks for being here.